official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here's your host, Glenn Naughton. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. And no, I swear I'm not a huge douchebag who just refuses to include my co-host, Alex Varallo, on the intro. This is something we are working. And the company we went through for the last one is uh, not replying. They're not, they're not hearing our messages uh, this time around. So we are searching for a intro maker. And Alex Varallo is here. And in the coming weeks, he will be on the intro. Glenn is not leaving him off on purpose. How are we doing, Alex? Doing great, Glenn. Uh, thanks for the shout-out, and uh, good evening, Jet Nation. Yeah, so possibly Alex and I spoke for a few minutes before the show. Might be a shorter episode tonight as we we hit this lull that we've talked about. I think we mentioned it last week. Uh, this is the roughest part of the offseason for football fans because there is just not enough going on. So... We'll cover some topics. We may hit an hour. We may not. We may hit 35 minutes or 45 minutes, whatever. We'll see how it goes. Um, but it may be a short one tonight. But um, we'll open up with uh, the only Jets news of the week, uh, but some news that, that upset some fans, and understandably so. The Jets have released their training camp schedule, at least the portion that is open to the public, because, of course, if it's not open to the public, there's no need for the public to know about it. Um, so only a handful of days, Alex, uh, I'm looking at it in front of me out at the, uh, out of one jets drive, Saturday, July 27th, Sunday, July 28th, Thursday, August 1st. Those are games that, or those are practices that are open to the, the public. Then you have the green and white scrimmage open to everyone at Rutgers, uh, hoping to go to that myself. And then there is a couple days later of, on the 4th. At um, at the Jets facility at One Jets Drive, Atlantic Health Jets Training Complex. Then on the 8th, they have their first preseason game against the Giants. And then on Sunday the 11th, they practice again. That's open to the public Tuesday, August 13th. Again open to the public. And then their second preseason game against the Atlanta Fowler. That would be their third preseason game by then. Um, oh, no, yeah, it's a week later, so it should be preseason game two against the Atlanta Falcons. So only a few practices open to the public. It seems I haven't looked around at what every team is doing, but I've heard that several teams are only opening a handful of sessions. But then there are some other teams, the Cowboys, and I'm, I'm going off the top of my head here, Alex. I could be dead wrong. Um, if so, I apologize. But I think someone told me the Cowboys have like 19 open practices or something crazy like that. So if so, kudos to the Cowboys. And uh, it's a shame. Jets fans won't be out there for, for many sessions. Uh, Jet Nation will be out there for the vast majority of camp. I know we've got our first week or so covered by KRL, who if you are on the Jet Nation forums, you are familiar with his work. It is absolutely fantastic. KRL's camp reports are far superior to anyone else out there. 
He'll be out there until July 1st, is my understanding. At that point, on July 2nd, same day as the Rutgers um, green and white scrimmage, I am tentatively scheduled to fly in from England to New York, head out to that scrimmage, and then cover that week of training camp, flying back to England on the 9th. And Alex will hopefully be attending some of the practices with me, and then hopefully some more practices on his own after that. So what are your thoughts, Alex, on this sort of what is looking like a very limited or what is a, a training camp where access for the fans is extremely limited? Do you, what, what do you think drives this? You know, I, I hear people say they think that it's because of because social media has become so big and every fan in the stands has a phone to record something with. It's not even a matter of Bill Belichick sending down one of his employees with a Jets hat on to sit in the stands and watch. Um, it's not even that level paranoia. It's just, hey, uh, Joe Blow fan who wants to uh, share with other Jets fans on Twitter, he might film the next three or four plays and send it out. And that might be something Adam Gase is saving for a big spot. And the Jets don't want their uh, any of their work in training camp being broadcast over social media. Do you think that's a reason? Because honestly... I can't think of any other reason why you'd shut your fans out from your own facility being able to come out and support the team. Yeah, I think you're onto something there, and, and, and that's where my mind's leading to as well. It has to be the fact that there are so many platforms and everybody's phone you know, is basically an HD camera, and there are times in which they will say to the media group, like, no pictures, no cameras, you know, put your stuff away. So – it has to be something with the exposure. Uh, we we know that Gase kind of runs things a little bit different. Um, going back to how he handled uh, minicamp and rookie minicamp, how he kind of does his process a little bit different than other people. So perhaps it's the way that Gase likes to run things. Uh, or, you know, like you said, the whole uh, sharing the content and, you know, exposing some of the core plays or formations that they may be looking to do this year. So they don't want that stuff to be revealed in, in July to give, you know, teams like Buffalo or, you know, our first month of opponents an advantage because once the season starts, everyone can see what you're doing, but you kind of want to keep as much as you want under your hat as possible. So it has to be that reason. And I, I do wish that we could have more. I mean, who doesn't want to see more Jets content? You know, I want to get out there and I want to see Sam making, you know, impressive throws and watching Lev Bell, you know, do his thing. So it's a little unfortunate that they reduced the amount of, uh, you know, exposure to the public uh, this year. And, you know, hopefully maybe if we create much of an uproar, maybe they'll change it for, for next season. But at this point in time, this is what we're dealing with and, you know, I'll be excited either way, like a kid, um, you know, getting ready for Christmas. But it's definitely a little bit of a Debbie Downer knowing that there's going to be less exposure for the fans. Yeah, it is. And, you know, we will do our very best to give you some quality coverage out from camp. What we'll probably do, I would imagine, is uh, head to, and again, like I said, I'm tentative at this point. My hotel is booked. It's going to be a matter of keeping an eye on flights and while camp isn't uh, a million miles away, it, it's far enough that 
I'm going to hold off on booking flights until I know there's nothing else on this side of the pond that I have to be taken care of. So, again, I'm tentative, but uh, we will have people out there. We have some other folks lined up to go out and cover for us. So we'll give the best coverage we can if I'm out there. Alex and I, any day he's able to come out, we'll do some shows from the hotel um, immediately after after practice, after we kind of comb over some notes. So either way, it's an exciting time. It's, you know, I, I, I try, Alex, I try not to be that fan who just assumes the best every year. I, you know, some people said, you know, last year is a good example. Last year, people said I was nuts because I said this offensive line uh, would be a middle of the pack line and in terms of pass blocking. And that's kind of where they landed, whether it's PFF, whether it's pro football outsiders, several analytic sites or, you know, sites that track this type of stuff had the Jets in the middle of the pack. Statistically, they were. Um, some fans don't believe it because I get it. Look, so we have busy lives. We don't, not everyone has time to sit around and watch a ton of football. And if you only watch the Jets, their offensive line was, again, middle of the pack. But when you have what you believe to be a franchise quarterback, and believe me, I'm right there with you, Jets fans, every pressure feels like 10 sacks because you're just praying this guy doesn't get hurt. Praying. So, you know, Darnold gets pressured a couple times and fans lose their minds. You know, he, he gets sacked and all of a sudden it's, you know, the worst O-line in history. This guy's getting murdered back there. He's getting killed. Alex, I think I don't think there's ever been a season worse than last year in terms of Jets Twitter, Jet Nation forums, which if you're not signed up for the forums, sign up, log on, and, uh, and, and, and be heard. Argue with Jets fans, sit in, in, in agreement with Jets fans, whatever it may be. But check out the forums at JetNation.com. But when you go on the forums, every single week was the same thing. Sam Darnold is going to get killed this week behind this O-line. Sam Darnold is going to get murdered behind this O-line. Oh, my goodness. We're playing this team. We're playing that team. Sam Darnold is going to get sacked 14 times by halftime this week. Every single week. And every single week, with the lone exception of the – the game that Todd Bowles left him in to chase Spencer Long snaps all over the field, and shocker, he injured his ankle. Um, I, I believe in that game, it had had Todd Bowles pulled his head out and put Jonathan Harrison in for Spencer Long, I don't think Donald would have been hurt in that game, and uh, he would have been healthy for the season. So a lot of prognosticators, well, I should say a lot of fans offering their prognostications had Sam Donald getting killed every single week. It didn't happen. And you know, but but th- again, this is just an example of where where people kind of lose perspective and, and lose their minds a little bit, and uh, and like me, just having having lost track of my thought there, because I I started focusing on the 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 hysteria the hysteria that sometimes sort of envelops a fan base when they obsess over over one topic. But listen, we we think we have our franchise guy, and you and I were talking earlier, Alex, and we said that. Um, the last time we could recall as Jets fans believing that we had the guy is uh, is a birthday boy today, if I'm not mistaken, in former Jets quarterback Chad Pennington. Uh, as we know, Chad Pennington, a first-round pick by the Jets when Bill Parcells was in town uh, the year they had four first-rounders. And uh, you, you start off. You kick this off, Alex. What, what are your thoughts on Pennington? 
what do you remember? The highs, the lows, the, the your favorite moments, your least favorite moments, uh, your expectations, and you know what it was like when you when you realized that whether it was injuries or you know limited arm strength, you know that moment you realized he was he wasn't going to be that guy. Yeah, I think I'd have to to go back to to that brutal game. I remember um, my father had split tickets with our neighbor for um, season tickets for that uh, previous years. Uh, we always ended up going to about four to six games every year. And we always thought that Vinny Testaverde was the, was going to be the guy. And then after he ruptured his Achilles tendon, it just didn't it looked like there was no hope anymore. And when they, when they got Pennington, I was so excited. Uh, and, and as a young man, not being as tuned in, you know, as I am now, just being a fan of the players, um, I, I first got a glimpse of Chad Pennington uh, at a Army football game against Marshall. And I had no idea that I was looking at a future Hall of Famer in Randy Moss, who scored three touchdowns that game. Um, and he was absolutely a freak, as they had called him. And I didn't realize that the guy throwing him the touchdown was going to be our future quarterback. So that was my first experience having seen Chad uh, from college. So, and then when he came in and, and that glorious 2002 year, it was just, I was just elated throughout the whole year. We had our, our running back in, in Curtis Martin. We got our receivers set, you know, guys like Santana Moss and, and Corbett was there. And it's just like, all, all these great pieces were coming together. I mean, maybe you might even remember Chris Baker. I, I love that guy. Mm-hmm. So just seeing how surgical he was, this guy did not have the strongest arm, but he was a precision passer. And, and that has to be one of the coolest things to see is that he could see the defender, you know, coming, he's reading him. And, and next thing you know, he's just going to throw this beautiful pass with just the, amount of, the right amount of loft on it to get over the defender and right into the receiver's bread basket. He did that time and time and again his career. And uh, what we were talking about off the air, uh, I was at that, that amazing playoff game against the Colts where we romped them 41 nothing, And, you know, I was just – like one of those crazy nut job fans. I, I remember when they, they ran that backdoor screen to Richie Anderson, which I think he took to the house for like 55 or 56 yards. I saw the play developing right in front of me because we were sitting in um, either the north or the south section. Um, so you could see the play coming at you. And the whole defense bit, and then he just goes and throws this little lofted pass to the backside. And, and there's Richie Anderson all alone right down the field for a score. I got so excited. I jumped out of my seat and I sprinted toward the end zone as if I was running the ball. Hands down, one of the coolest moments as a Jets fan. And I'll I'll even go as further as this. We love Chad Pennington so much in my household that we named our dog, our second family dog, Chad, because of Chad Pennington. So I I can't uh, express more uh, the impact that he had not as only as me as a fan, but my family as well. Yeah, you know, you say that, Alex. And, uh, I mean, you know, Jets fans, anybody who's, you know, around during those years, you can't not recall how excited we were 
because again, it's you know we really thought Pennington was the guy. You had every reason to believe it. I think his his physical limitations, and by that, of course, I mean his arm strength or lack thereof. I think you kind of you didn't want to. You kind of looked past it. Oh, find a way to overcome it. I'll find a way to overcome it. Even on days when he wasn't finding ways to overcome it, I think the most If you look back at his numbers and his, his win-loss record, um, it was not good against top 10 defenses. I mean, any time Pennington faced a top 10 defense, at one point I want to see I want to say he was like 1-7 or 1-8. Um, and any time he faced a, a defense that could close on a, on a pass, he just couldn't get it done because they just played him 15 yards and in, 10 yards and in. And even when he tried to challenge him deep, he just didn't have the, the zip on the ball to make it happen. So the limitations were there. But just in terms of character and in terms of what he could do early on when teams couldn't test him and didn't know exactly what he was capable of, you mentioned that 2002 year. I'm looking at this now. You know, it was, uh, you know, 22 touchdowns, six interceptions. And what people forget sometimes is, uh, and I would, you know, I remind people of this, that a couple of those interceptions came in mop-up duty. Once he became the starter, it was 22 touchdowns, four interceptions, which is just insane. And you look at some of the games he had. I just pulled up his numbers on PFR real quick, or his game logs. These are his completion percentages um, from the time he took over as the starter. And I get that a lot of this was, like I said, 10 yards and in. But he did enough to keep defenses honest more often than not. So Chad Pennington, his starts that year, uh, his – Sorry, his completion percentage in starts that year, 61%, 75 61%, 85%, 62%, 80%, 62%, 64%, 63%, 66%, 69%, 70%. To so finish up the year at 68%, 68.92% completion percentage, which is just nuts, um, especially if you take out those two mop-up games, uh, because even in those games, he was 5 for 13 so as a starter, even better. Uh, you know, he's probably closer to or right at 70% completion percentage as a starting quarterback, which is just nuts. Um, so the ability was there. He put up some huge numbers. Again, you know, that four, the 41 nothing game against Indy, which was unbelievable, you know, to beat Peyton Manning in, in such convincing fashion. And the play action, I mean, the best play action passer the Jets have had in, in my lifetime anyway. I've never seen a Jets quarterback who could sell play action the way Chad Pennington could. And that was what, that was another thing that helped make up for his lack of arm strength because there was a lack of arm strength. So, but again, a great guy. He's the last guy we had where we thought we had the answer. Now, you know, we feel the same way about Darnold and we, you know, we can only hope we're right. Of course, the thing with Darnold, he's more mobile than Pennington. He's got a better arm than Pennington. Um, so he can do a lot more things than Chad could, but Chad just had the brains. Um, and that's not to say Darnold doesn't, but Chad just, and you know, and I said this to you, Alex earlier, Chad's the only quarterback the Jets have had in my lifetime, um, who played for any length of time. And it was mainly that 2002 season where when he dropped back, I, an interception was the last thing on my mind. Like it, it wasn't until Chad Pennington, Alex, that I realized that most of my life as a Jets fan you know, m- most of my time watching the Jets on offense was spent cringing because every time a quarterback drops back, it's like, oh, God, here we go, interception. And, uh, and I didn't realize that I did that on basically every single pass attempt 
until Chad Pennington came along. And I was like, why do I feel so much more relaxed? Why? How come when I watch Chad Pennington play, my face isn't sore after the game? Oh, because I'm not grimacing every time he drops back and anticipating a pick. So um, great guy, damn good quarterback who could have been a, a hell of a lot better if he'd stayed healthy. Um, and, and you know, you, you mentioned having named your dog. And the, and the, this I can't really be called the one-upper here because I didn't actually go through with this. But the fact I consider it showed just a little bit how crazy I was. I was living in Florida during that season, and um, and I was looking I was looking to move from one house to another, and in my neighborhood, only a few blocks from where I was living, I was driving past one day, and there was a street called Pennington Place, and I actually called my realtor and I was like, "Are there any houses for sale on Pennington Place?" <laughs> because because I would like to take a look at any any and she was like and she looked for me. He's like, "No, nothing available." And I thought, man, how cool would that be to live on Pennington Place? Because this guy's going to win five Super Bowls. Uh, I'm glad. It, I'm I'm glad that didn't that didn't go through. I'm glad there was nothing available um, on Pennington Place. But yeah, I was a little bit obsessed, like as yourself and as many Jets fans were. And I still hear Jets fans today, man. You know, you got to love some of these people. Um, again, as much as I love Chad, there are people who get really defensive if you say. You know, if you say like, ah, oh, Pennington was good, but he wasn't great. Go to hell, man. He was awesome. It was, it was just the arm injury. He would have been a Hall of Famer. And it's like, well, he would have been damn good. But again, look at the numbers against the top defenses. They were not good at all. I mean, the, the difference in completion percentage and in touchdown to INT against top defenses was just, it was alarming to say the least. But anyway, that was, uh, that was Chad Pennington and, uh, if you don't love the guy and you're a Jets fan, you know I don't. I've seen Jets fans who get mad because of the money Chad Pennington made. Like, what the hell is Chad Pennington supposed to do when a team offers him a boatload of money? Say no, because you know, guys, uh, there's always a chance I'll get hurt down the road. So how about you offer me about a third of what you're offering me? Like these guys, I I can never understand getting mad at a player for accepting a, a big contract offer. Um, you know, now holdouts are a different story. I don't even get mad at guys when they hold out. I get mad at guys when they hold out twice. That's a bunch of bull. Don't hold out for a deal, then hold out on that deal, Darrell Revis. Um, but anyway, let's see. Uh, Shots what fired. Were we gonna, what, what were we going to – what was that, Alex? Sorry. No, I was just commenting on your, your Revis comment. Trust me, there, yeah. there was nobody more bitter than me when, when they couldn't figure out a, a way to get him signed. He has to be definitely as many one of my favorite uh, all-time players, but uh, man, that that really really stunk having to see him get traded and go down to Tampa and and all that Michigan. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but the thing was, you know, it was like it was unbelievable. He he held out after he got drafted, which, like I said, I'm fine with that. You want to get your money, get your money, and then he. He plays a couple years, and then he holds out again. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. You're playing on a deal that you held out to get. And then they have the big, ugly contract battle. He gets the contract. And at the press conference to sign, like, to announce the deal, somebody asks him. I I forget the exact exchange, but it's like, hey, Darrell, you think you're going to hold out again on this contract? He's like, ah, you know, maybe. I'm not going to rule that out. And I was like, gee, you haven't even signed this one yet. And you're literally already talking about holding out on this one. So that, that really was a bad taste in my mouth. But anyway, that's, that's all said and done. 
Um, but yeah, it's funny because I would I would be critical of that, and people would be like, "Oh, these guys have to get paid. Why are you criticizing them? It's not your money." Like I get all that. I get that they have to get paid, and I get that they have the right to hold out. But I and I don't think I'd ever seen that before. I can't. I couldn't remember a guy who held out for a deal, and then held out before that deal was over, um, and then threatened to hold out before signing the deal that he held out to get. Um, so Revis was sort of like like another echelon as a player, but also as a guy who was you know, was willing to hold out every couple years, um, which is a little bit absurd if you're asking me. Um, but what the hell? Nobody is. But what uh, what I want to get into next, Alex, is uh, one story that, that made the rounds a couple weeks ago, and we discussed it briefly. The, uh, the Jets special team situation. Uh, people have been critical of letting Andre Roberts go. Uh, I kind of understand it, but at the same time, the Jets have brought in a lot of guys with return experience, whether it's punt return, kick return, limited experience, uh, a bunch of experience. Uh, you know, Greg Dorch is a guy who returned punts in college. Quadri Henderson is a guy that they added as a free agent. Jameson Crowder, actually, I didn't realize how much. I knew he returned punts. He had 86 returns with Washington, so he's done it fairly extensively. Um, just a bunch of guys who have done it. Eli McGuire's done some returning. And I, I think they're bringing, if you went through the whole roster, I tried to do it before we kicked off the show, but uh, there were quite a few. I, I would venture to guess the, the Jets probably have eight to ten guys in camp with, with either pro or college return experience. And they're going to audition a lot of guys. My hope is that Trenton Cannon gets his head on straight as a return man and he emerges. Um, but what are your thoughts on this, this discussion that the Jets were absolutely crazy to let Andre Roberts go? Uh, and they should have done whatever it took to retain him rather than have him go to the division rival Bills. So uh, I first want to start <laughs> my statement by saying that Andre Andre Roberts was a guy that I pounded the table for to make the team last season because I knew that his experience and his ability as a returner uh, would be better than what we've seen in probably since the days of Chad Morton and Brad Smith and, and those types of names uh, as, as we go, keep going back in the history books here with the Jets. So I, I was definitely all about Andre Roberts last year because I just recall situations of watching our Darius Stewart catch a ball seven, eight yards deep in the end zone and try to run out with it. And the fumbles and, and you know, some of the names that they, they brought out, uh, or what was the kid, the guy from Denver? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, I think it was like Raymond, uh, Khaleesi Raymond or something like that. That guy was on the team for less than a week and got the starting duties at kick returns and then fumbled, I believe, in his first game as a Jet. So uh, needless to say, it, I was definitely all about Roberts, but I also tend to think about certain rankings and statistics that this team had last year that people just overlook. One of the reasons why Andre Roberts had one of the best kick return averages was because of the opportunities that he had last year. And that was a result of our defense letting up points. Because every time the other team scores, we get a kick return. So I think that, A, his production was based on the amount of opportunities he got. And, yes, he is a good player and everything like that. And uh, another Pro Bowl player, which was our kicker, Myers, Jets were one of the worst red zone teams last year in scoring. So all of his opportunities were based on the failures that we had offensively in the red zone. 
And, you know, it was a collective thing of not having the, the best offensive line, having an inexperienced rookie QB, basically a offensive coordinator that was extremely predictable and really didn't get very aggressive at all, uh, mainly because maybe his quarterback, he didn't feel as confident with him. So, you know, those are a lot of things that I tend to look at and say, I'm fine if the Jets don't have a Pro Bowl uh, kick returner in 2019, because that'll let me know that the defense is playing better. We're not getting scored on as much. And we're, we're being way more effective scoring in, in the red zone as well, as far as the kicking is concerned. So I, I, I can't sit here and say that, uh, you know, our kicker this year is going to do better than Myers uh, did last year. I, I think that is too far um, of an expectation. Uh, and I don't think it's a bad thing if we, if we don't lead the league in kick return average. Um, I, I'd rather be the team that has the least, uh, you know, yards per average because our offense is clicking on all cylinders and we're scoring and we're stopping teams and we're forcing them to go three and out. I'd much rather have more punt return opportunities than kick return opportunities. So that's kind of how I I look at it. Um, Yes, it's probably going to sting if Andre Roberts takes a big one, um, you know, to the house or has a 40-yard return uh, week one because I I think we're playing Buffalo uh, to start the season. So, yes, it'll be a little uh, bitter, but – yeah, I say it's kick that the damn ball out of bounds. You know, punt, there's plenty punt of talent out, of there out there that guy. to do what this guy's done. Yeah, I would I would just punt it away from him and not give him a chance for that revenge return. Uh, but I, you know, I agree. There's, you know, this team should be in a position to to be forcing forcing opposing opposing um, offenses to do a lot more punting this year. Uh, again, you know the, the the cornerback the corner question still remains, and that that's what's going to be interesting to watch between now and the start of the season is is whether or not a move gets made at corner. But I think the team all around is better, and I I think the team is better in enough areas that uh, they don't like you said they don't have to have the best return man in the league. Would it be nice? Yeah, of course. Um, and I do worry a little bit because they were really bad a couple of years before that, but. Again, they're they're gonna have healthy competition at that spot. They brought a bunch of guys in, and I just I really, 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 really hope that Trenton Cannon has been doing nothing but fielding punts from the day the season ended until now, um, and up until camp. And I'd I'd love to see him win that job, but the way he performed there last year just it didn't it the the outlook wasn't good, and and some guys just never get it. You know, I I think a lot of Jets fans forget. And it's weird because he was so good at it in college um, that Aaron Glenn, after he was drafted, Bill Parcells put him back there as a punt returner um, because he had fantastic return numbers in college. And I think it was preseason. I think he misplayed two or three punts, and that was it. I don't think he ever got back there again. Parcells was like, nope, can't do it. You're gone. And and that was that. So I, I do like the idea of working with a guy for a little while, giving him a shot to develop there. And I think that's what they would like to do. But the, th- the thing with Trenton Cannon, I mean, you can't really say the Jets are going to look to get rid of Mike McCagnon's players because th- basically his entire roster. Um, but I think anyone who's fringe on the bubble, on the fence type guys, I think they'll err on the side of we'll find a better player ourselves. So I think some of those guys who might have stuck under McCagnon 
will be given the boot um, just to try to clear clear the roster of his picks as soon as possible, or at least those that they feel they can get equal production out of. And we'll and, find out in time. You know time. what's interesting, Glenn? What's uh, that? When I, I was uh, re-watching the Brent Boyer interview from last week earlier, and mm-hmm. he had mentioned, uh, he was questioned, rather, about Trenton Cannon. And, you know, he says that he, he looks like he's in very good shape this year. Uh, the speed hasn't changed. Uh, obviously, we know that that's his strong point. And they asked him about his returning duties. And it was interesting how he said that he is featuring him more and giving him more reps at the kick returning duties than he is at punt return. So he could be a lead candidate for the kick returns, but it does seem that there's still plenty of competition for the punt returning duties. And just from just hearing that tidbit, maybe they're not as confident in him with the punt returning duties, but he did mention on how impressed he was as a rookie to solidify himself into a special teams role, you know, as a gunner uh, uh, on punt, um, excuse me, on punt kick uh, special teams and also on kickoff uh, uh, formation. So there, there's definitely a lot to say uh, in his, uh, you know, chances of making this 53, even though we do have a crowded running back backfield. At the end of the day, this guy's still a football player, and there's definitely opportunity for him to carve out a role for himself. And and I think he, uh, he's a strong candidate to make the 53. And, you know, one thing I would, I would love to know, Alex, and, you know, obviously this is something that it's unlikely we'll find out, but you raise a good point there in Boyer's praise of Cannon and how, I mean, he really did stand out as a cover guy last year on specials. Um, every now and then you hear that, you know, that a lot of GMs will kind of give their coordinators, not not just, you know, not a draft pick always, but they'll say when they're cutting down on the final 53, like, you pick one guy for your unit. Like, who's a guy you got to have? And mm-hmm. I wonder if they ask Brand Boyer that question – and he looks at his and he looks at his special teams and he sees I mean let's face it in all reality there's going to be a chunk of guys who they can probably agree on universally and those guys will stay but if Trenton Cannon's not one of them and there's one spot left and Adam Gase says to him all right you know me and Joe are going to let you have one guy who do you have to have and if he looks at Cannon's coverability and his potential as a return man is he the guy that Boyer says, yeah, I want Cannon. I, I got keep that guy on my on my unit, and uh, and then give him time to grow. I mean, I don't know, we don't know, but I I would I would really like to 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 be able to find out just ex- exactly how highly how high Brant Boyer is on this guy, because that could be the thing that saves him if if the Jets, if the the front office is looking to move on from him, if Boyer says no, he's a guy I gotta have. He's a stud, getting down the field, and you know making tackles on specials, and over time he, he has the, the physical traits to be an elite return guy. So we'll, uh, we'll see what happens with that. And, again, intriguing player. And, I, you know, I liked him a lot in camp. And he's, he's kind of, even though he didn't touch the ball a whole lot, there were times when he did, even if, even if it was a matter of just gaining, you know, seven, eight, nine yards, where you could just tell the quickness and explosion was there. And he was the quickest guy out there. 
and uh, just wasn't given enough opportunities to make big plays. But he's also got to hold on to the ball, not as just a return man, but as a receiver. He had some big drops. But uh, speaking of receivers, you and I were kind of throwing around some names, Alex, and, and two guys that we, we thought of who we were curious as to, as to who, who might have the bigger year in this new offense. And let's assume, let's assume both guys stay healthy because they both have injury histories. Uh, but Quincy Inunua is a guy who you know we're familiar with. And then Jamison Crowder, the, the first-year guy after leaving the Redskins, coming to the Jets. If you had to put money on it right now today, and I were to tell you, if all I could tell you is they both stay healthy, who do you think has the bigger year, Inunua or Crowder, and why? And that is the key factor, who is going to be the healthiest man. Uh, so in a situation where they're both healthy, I'd have to, you know, call me a fanboy, call me a homer, whatever you want. I'm going to have to lean toward a Quincy Inunua. Uh, just, you know, some of the things that we've mentioned in the past, his versatility, uh, you know, being a Swiss Army knife where you can line him up in, in various amount of positions and you'll, you have to account for his blocking ability and his receiving ability. But on a receiving standpoint, you could probably say that maybe Crowder is a better receiver uh, as far as playing the slot and working in between the numbers. Uh, but for for some reason, I, I just kind of feel like this is going to be Quincy Nunwa's year. Now, if Crowder finds himself being able to go back to his gameplay that he had in 2016 and 2017, where, you know, he was looking at, you know, near a hundred targets and, and, and 60 plus catches, there's definitely a good chance that maybe he puts up uh, more, more yards or than Quincy Inunua. But I think as a red zone threat, I, I'd have to go with Quincy Inunua and 81 all day, I guess. So, that's where I see it. Uh, where do you see it, Glenn? Well, as I mentioned, you know, this is assuming they both stay healthy. Um, and as, you know, we have this discussion, I'm, I'm, I'm going back and forth. And I'm going to say, if all things, uh, the th- I'm going to say Quincy Inunua has the better year. And the only reason I'm saying that is because of the fast start we saw Quincy get off to with Sam Darnold last year. And it looked like he was in for a huge season. Basically, it's the 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 already existing chemistry between Inunua and Darnold. If that wasn't there, and every if everything was equal, I would go with Crowder. I think Adam Gase is gonna is gonna use utilize utilize Crowder underneath quite a bit. I think they're gonna be able to use guys like Robbie and Inunua when you when you line Inunua up outside. I think those guys are going to be able to create create some space. Additionally, with Chris Herndon, you send Chris Herndon down the team and Robbie Anderson on a deep route, whether it's a post or a go or whatever, I think you're going to open up some room for uh, for Crowder underneath. And if Donald opts to go with the quick, safe throws, I think he'll be – I think he'll have more catches, but Quincy will have more big plays. So I'm going to go with Quincy. But if uh, – again, if, the, if it wasn't for that time that Quincy had with Sam, I would probably say – Crowder, but I think uh, you know. Here, here's the hoping they both have fantastic years, and we're we're arguing this all the way to week 17 as to who's having the better year. And uh, it's you know just another story that's going to be you know or another another dynamic to this offense. Two guys who can bring a lot to the table. 
And the question remains, the question is all about health is, can you stay healthy? And that's going to, that's going to bring us to our, well, I, first of all, well, what, I, what I'm going to, I'm going to cover right now briefly, um, Jets quarterback, Joe Namath, as we all know, the, the lone Super Bowl winner, Super Bowl three, uh, Joe Namath put a book out. Uh, out of what about a month ago, six weeks ago, whatever it was, I I ordered it right away. Um, didn't read it right away because I was in the middle of reading something else. Finished that up a few days ago and uh, and picked up Broadway Joe's book, pulled it off the bookshelf, and like I said, it's called All the Way. Joe breaks it down into four quarters. The book itself, and I I I really enjoyed the the writing style or the 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 way Joe went about it and what he basically did was he says in the early in the book that he'd never watched Super Bowl 3 before on on TV. So and it was it was the surprising part was that Joe said he said I I never understood why they called it the Super Bowl um because it was you know back then it was called the championship game. They didn't even call it the Super Bowl back then. But of course that was Super Bowl 3, the NFL championship game is what they called it prior to that. And uh and Namath says in the book that when he when he puts on the old the old uh, television version of it to watch, he says, "Oh, what do you know?" At the beginning of the game, they called it the Super Bowl. Like he didn't even know that they did in fact call it the Super Bowl back then. Uh, he thought they were still in the the NFL Championship game uh, mode. Uh, but anyway, he, he he goes in and out. He'll he'll reflect on the game. He'll talk about a play or you know what went right, what went wrong, and then he'll intertwine that with a story from his his childhood. Um, his years growing up and it kind of got like early in the game is his early childhood. Then as the game progresses, it goes all the way up to adulthood and just some great notes in there talking about bear Bryant, what made him great as his coach in Alabama. Um, Joe talks about how he struggled, you know, as being a guy from, from Western Pennsylvania who had never experienced segregation, realizing after he'd committed to Alabama that it was a segregated university. And he said he wasn't sure if he would have, agreed to attend if he had known that at the time he just he, he covers you know a lot about Weeb Eubank of course and what I did Alex uh, a little bit cheesy maybe but it was just a thought I had because it uh, you know I, I watched an old version of Super Bowl 3 many years ago but it's been a long time since I watched it and I thought you know what as 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 Joe Namath is taking us through this game quarter by quarter in his book as he's watching it I'm, I'm going to pull up YouTube on my smart TV and, and put on Super Bowl three and I'm going to have it playing in the background. And there were a couple of occasions where a play would happen within a few minutes of me reading about it. And then I could watch the play and go, okay, that's, that's what name is talking about there. So it was kind of an added dimension. So I, to any Jets fan who wants to pick it up, really good book, enjoyable read. Uh, you can get through it in a day or two, maybe three, depending on how busy you are, how much time yeah, you can get through it in a day. If you have the time. Um, you have job, kids, all that stuff, like many of us. You'll need a little more time than that. But uh, I enjoyed the book. I like the style. I like the way they laid it out. I like the anecdotes, the the personal stories, the family stories. Um, just all around enjoyable. And, and like I said, for an added dimension, throw the game on, Super Bowl three, throw it on in the background, and give it a read. And um, so with that in mind, Alex, we, we started doing some random topics. We're going to close out every show for the next few weeks anyway with something random, not necessarily football-related. Uh, 
on the topic of books, Alex. We'll we'll, we'll stay on that topic. Give us uh give myself and your and the listeners, Alex. You can recommend three books to anyone. What are the books and and a quick synopsis? Why are you recommending them? Okay, um, I'll have to go with uh, from my childhood. Uh, I've read the book several times, and I I love it every single time. And it has to be The Hobbit. Uh, it, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan, and uh, you know if anyone's seen the movies and you haven't read the books, I definitely recommend doing so. It's just a fantastic, fun adventure, and it's just one of those things that are timeless for me. I'll probably read it five or six more times before you know my day is through. So. Uh, definitely love that one. Um, the next one, I read it a few years ago, and it was very intriguing because I never read a book uh, that was broken down that way. And, you know, looking at today's society and looking how things are, um, this book is World War Z. Uh, you might have seen the movie with Brad Pitt uh, from a few years back. Uh, it, like, again, um, you'd have to actually read it yourself to understand what I'm saying about how where the book takes place. And kind of the timeline of it is not fluid. It it kind of jumps around a little bit. So, you know, it's something that I found myself like having to kind of take notes as I was going through it, uh, just so that I could stay on point with um, everything that was portrayed. And and if you kind of look at like the world that we live in today and, and the deeper meaning that the book goes to show about, you know, uh, corporations and, you know, uh, just about us humans in general and, and the government and things like that, it's it's definitely a uh, a good a good uh, thinker style book. Um, not to mention if you, you know you're a, a zombie uh, fan like I am, uh, then then you'll definitely like World War Z. But to for my all time favorite, um, this is a book about uh, Michael Johnson, the Olympic the Olympic runner uh, for the from the late the mid. 90s to the late 2000, early 2000s, I should say. Uh, he was definitely a mentor of mine, a huge inspiration. Uh, I was uh, a big track guy uh, going throughout middle school and into high school. And, you know, I had opportunities to, to run track in college, but I, I went the wrestling route instead. But as, as far as, you know, reading a book that will challenge you as an individual, that will if you if you need a good kick in the in the in the rear end and to get your life going, you definitely want to read Slaying the Dragon by Michael Johnson. Uh, he talks about his upbringing, uh, how he got to where he got to today, uh, the things that he had to do to become an Olympic runner, uh, you know, setting goals for yourself and and you know keeping your standards uh, reasonable, um, you know creating a routine for yourself and, and sticking to it and, you know, just challenging yourself and raising the bar a little bit each day. Um, and if you can maintain that mentality, you know, you can accomplish anything. Uh, and that's the way I felt after I read the book. So I, I would highly recommend that if you're looking for something to inspire yourself with, Michael Johnson, Slaying the Dragon is definitely the book to go read. All right. So I will I will lead off. I'll I'll give three books, and uh, picking up where you left off, sort of uh, motivational things you can do, things you can accomplish. Um, and this is a bizarre one. Uh, well, the book itself isn't bizarre, uh, but this is a book that it's fairly new, but has been a bestseller around the world. 
already translated into 20-some languages, sold roughly 4 million copies worldwide, which generally doesn't happen nowadays. Unless you're writing a book about fantasy, like Harry Potter type stuff, people don't sell 4 million books. Um, And anyone familiar with this book either loves or hates the author. Uh, It's a book called 12 Rules for Life, uh, written by a Canadian psychologist named Jordan Peterson, who um, he wrote this book and he... Around the time before, right before he released it, he got caught up in some controversy um, because he, the Canadian government, was um, was was passing a new law that was going to basically he called it a compelled speech law, and it had to do with uh, trans activists, transgender, that type of thing. That's a big story nowadays. Um, and it was the government was coming in and saying, uh, you know, punishable by law if you don't call a transgender person by what they like to be called. Um, and Jordan Peterson's stance was, hang on a minute, I, you know, there's no examples in history um, of the Commonwealth of the government dictating our speech, and that goes against freedom of speech, and uh, we can't we can't allow that. So Jordan Peterson's issue was with the free speech portion, um, but because it was related to trans, um, everyone said he was a, tr- a trans hater. You hate trans people. You're a hate monger. You're a a racist Nazi monster, um, which I didn't get because I heard all that. And I went like there were because he had, he's a professor. He had like hundreds of hours loaded to YouTube of his lectures. And in his lectures, he's like, you know, he talks about the dangers of like Nazism and fascism and like all these terrible things. So he's got like years of history speaking out against these things, but he's accused of being these things because he's simply saying the government's role is not to a control our speech. That's not, that's unethical. Um, but anyway, so the book comes out not long after that. It sold 4 million copies. Um, some statistical, you know, some historical, uh, statistical scientific data based on behaviors and how people act. And he basically says, here's 12 rules um, that if you follow these, your life will probably be better. And I'm generally not into that stuff, but because of the way he presents it, the data he provides, it's not your, it's far from your typical self-help book. I wouldn't even call it a self-help book. It's just a, a, a very intelligent psychologist putting out some some tips. And again, four million copies. Absolutely unbelievable. Um, very good book. Uh, next, I would have to say Angela's Ashes, which uh, was made into a movie. But as is always the case, the book is always better. Um, Pulitzer Prize winning book written in the, I want to say, late 90s by Frank McCourt, who was from the lanes of Limerick in Ireland and emigrated to New York, eventually became a teacher, wrote a book about that later too. But uh, Angela's Ashes, great book, make you laugh, make you cry. Uh, movie's not bad, just not as good as the book. Uh, that one's got a special, uh, that's a special one to me because my, my dad was from Limerick and he went to the same school as Frank McCourt. So it was weird to me reading that book and, uh, and the, he talks about, he tells stories about the school headmaster um, who went by the name Hoppy O'Holloran. He had a limp, they called him Hoppy O'Holloran. And I remember the hair on the back of my neck standing up when he mentioned that book or when he mentioned Hoppy O'Holloran in the book because I my dad used to tell me stories about that guy. So I was like, wow, like this is this is legit. My dad wasn't making that stuff up. Um, but it's not just the person. Again, it won the Pulitzer Prize. I'm not like praising a book because it, there's a, a personal connection. Um, so that would be that would be one that I would have to mention. And uh, and then the one that I just finished, um, because. I feel like it's something that uh, we don't know enough about, we weren't taught enough about in school, is uh, the Gulag Archipelago 
which is a book that doc, it was written by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, uh, a Russian Soviet labor prison camp. Um, he was locked in a, a Soviet prison camp for eight years, and uh, he survived it obviously. And he interviewed two hundred other prisoners once they, you know, they, who survived and and got out. And I'll tell you what, man, Stalin was like, you know, as as a, as horrible as Hitler was, you know, and having killed anywhere from six to nine, ten million people. If you take into account the the the, the combat stuff, um, the 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 deaths of the gulags, the the gulag archipelago, um, according to several experts, range anywhere from twenty five million to sixty six million. Um, you know, there were no official records kept. Not everybody was recovered, but those are the estimates. So just a, I mean, that book was tough. I'm not gonna lie. Um, getting through that thing, like they were, because a lot of it is referencing Russian history and and Russian terminology. So I would have to stop and look stuff up to figure out exactly what I was reading. Um, but again, powerful, powerful book uh, that I would I would recommend to anybody who's into world history and and the importance of knowing what happens when fascists um, do you know do come to power, um, as was the case with Lenin and Stalin um, in Soviet Russia before the before they collapsed. So those are a few books uh, I would check out: Twelve Rules for Life, Gulag Archipelago. Angela's Ashes, and uh, go ahead and repeat yours, Alex. Yeah, so the first one was uh, The Hobbit, and the second one was World War Z, and the last one was Slaying the Dragon, uh, the story of Michael Johnson. Yeah, pretty sure I've heard of the Michael Johnson one. I'm I'm a little crazy at the moment, Alex. I, I literally, I bought myself a few bookcases a couple months ago, and they're almost full. Um, unfortunately, I can not read the books as quickly as I can buy them. And the, the, I keep telling myself I'm going to stop buying them. And then I see another one that, that catches my interest and, uh, and the bookshelves are almost full. So I'm going to have to stop buying those, but uh, we'll have another topic next week, another non football related topic to spend five, six, seven minutes on because it is that time of year. Not a lot of news. We're going to, we're still working on, we have a couple guests we're working on getting in here and we're going to generate some, uh, you know, we will, in the coming weeks, Alex, we'll do a top 20, maybe even top 25 players. Uh, and that'll be, a, that'll be an entire show just going through top players, why we think guys are where they are. And we'll have to decide, Alex, it's always interesting when people do those types of things, because some people include rookies and some people don't, you know, it's, and I understand the argument. How do you include a rookie who's never played a single snap? I mean, come on. But then how do you not include a guy like Quinn and Williams who could arguably be could be a top five player on this team, definitely a top ten player in year one. I mean, are you really going to rank the twenty twenty first or twenty fourth best guy ahead of him? Um, I mean, you could say it's the top twenty five proven players, I guess. Um, but we'll work through that and we'll figure that out uh, in the coming weeks. But as far as tonight's show, that wraps things up for us, Alex. Since and I apologize since you are still not on the, the intro or the outro. Go ahead and give us your Twitter handle, and we will sign off for the evening. All right, Jets fans. Uh, you can follow me at NYJetsLife24. That's at NYJetsLife24. Thanks for stopping by. See you guys soon. All right, Jets fans. We will catch you next week. And uh, that is all for us for now. Have a great night. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow Glenn on Twitter at AceFan23. And the show can be found at Jet Nation Radio. Until next time, go Jets!